We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me over on X at Trevor underscore Lane on Instagram, threads, Facebook at Trevor Lane NBA. It's almost here. It's right around the corner. Fall is almost here. The weather is starting to change, getting a little bit cooler, and that means the NBA is almost back. In fact, as of this recording, September 18th, We are just 19 days away from preseason action for your Los Angeles Lakers. I'm getting so excited. Can't wait. Can't wait. Sean Davis joining me. Sean, how are you doing? And thank you for holding down the fort while I uh, escaped on a little family vacation. Yeah, I'm glad you had fun. Uh, I'm glad that the only news that happened while you were gone was Jerry Vanderbilt because I had to record that out of my classroom setting. Uh, at the school I work at, so that was kind of weird, like bright early in the morning too. Uh, but yeah, glad you're back, and uh, glad that we get to talk about some real, actual Lakers basketball. And like you said, what 19 days, a little bit earlier than that, mm-hmm. because of training camp and some other stuff. So let's go. We're almost there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Before before they actually get back out on the floor, of course, and play a preseason game, they're going to have their training camp. Before that, they're going to media day, all kinds of stuff going on this is going to be everything's picking up let's let's put it that way everything is picking up and the lakers are almost back out on the floor uh yeah i had a great time on vacation it it was fantastic got plenty of sun ate more than i thought was ever possible same thing can apply to drinking as well had had a good time let's (laughs) let's put it that way but but now i am i am refreshed recharged and ready to go. Uh, we've got a number of stories to get into on today's show, but I want to start off with this. It's optimistic, and that's a good thing. JHS working on his threes, and he's got a little comment. Uh, he said this to Jovan Buha of The Athletic. said, I feel like I've made a lot of progress being in the gym every day, getting up a lot of reps, working on my footwork, my form, mechanics, and everything, getting everything sharp. That's definitely been a strong point and something that I've been really attacking every day. This was, Sean, this was this was the big concern for Lakers fans, right? When Jalen Hutchcafino 
was drafted with the 17th overall pick. Well, the, the first concern was that his name was not Cam Whitmore. That was what a lot of people were, were upset about. But the second concern was, oh my gosh, the Lakers did it again. They drafted a guy who can't shoot the three. What is going on? This team needs three-point shooters, and you just drafted a guy whose weakness is shooting. What are you doing, Lakers? And we said over and over again, look, their record in the draft has been fantastic. You look at all the players they found over the years. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Pump the brakes. Don't be so angry yet. Let's give this guy a chance. The shot was kind of hit and miss a little bit in summer league, no question. But JHS recognizes that's the thing he needs to work on the most. And he's been working on it. That's good to hear, right? That he spent the time in the gym this summer working on that three-point shot. Yeah, and the biggest thing that I'm kind of excited about, Trevor, is him mentioning how he's really worked on his mechanics and his footwork. He shot 37% on pull-up threes last year at Indiana, 30% on catch-and-shoot looks uh, last season at Indiana. Typically, we would see those two things reversed, and he shot two for 19 uh, on corner threes last season at Indiana as well. But on the catch-and-shoot looks in the corner threes, those are like footwork. That's catch-and-shoot mechanics and working on your footwork in your form, make sure that thing, those things are tight, which also may be a reason why he didn't shoot particularly well at the free throw line. Uh, or mm -hmm. those numbers look a lot better than I actually kind of thought they were. Um, yeah, I mean, 78% if you round up at the free throw line. So there, there's yeah. some, something to, uh, it, to be optimistic about there. It was the summer league free throw stats. I think his summer league people. free throw shooting was indeed really like, unsustainably poor uh, i'll t i'll pull up the numbers on that but that's but that brings up another thing john when we're we're talking his corner three was, was weirdly low compared to his threes everywhere else is that are we taking that as just small sample size or is that something like for most players their three-point percentage goes up in the corners and down above the break he's the opposite what gives there Again, I think it's more like a footwork thing and where you're getting those shots from. Like You're most likely going to get your off-the-dribble threes above the break, which is why he shot 37% on pull-up threes, like I mentioned, overall last year, and 39% above the break in general. Um, so me personally, I'm a believer in the shot. There's a, a big reason why he was a top 15 grade for me last season in the draft cycle was because I was a believer in the shot. And... Seems like a really, really good kid that has a high work ethic and good for him, you know, identifying a flaw. And honestly, you can make an argument that a more concerning flaw for me personally, Trevor, heading into summer league, he kind of already addressed it. And it was his finishing at the rim where on his college tape, it was a lot of him dodging contact, trying to go around bigs at the rim. In, which is a massive no-no, instead of just using your 6'6", I don't know what he is, 215 frame, but maybe, athletic build, and just go through these dudes. And that's what we saw a lot more of it at, uh, during Summer League. And once he puts on more contact, uh, balance, and play strength, I'm super, super excited about JHS, man. I, I'm not the biggest, I'm not super, super worried about the shot long-term. Lock him in a gym and feel handy for a summer, and I think he'll be just fine. Well, and that's that's what I really like about the Jalen Hoods, you know, selection and where the Lakers are at. 
I don't think he's going to be be lacking in time to develop. I think in this Lakers yeah. team, they're not going to have to throw him right out there. You've got other guys. We've got guys that we're going to talk about in a little bit when we talk about uh, Gabe Vincent, who we're going to address in, in a bit. But you've got D'Angelo Russell. You've got Austin Reeves. You've got Max Christie, Cam Reddish. These guys can play the guard positions. I think on most nights, unless something happens, right? Something happens, either injuries creep up, or JHS winds up being a lot better than what we're expecting him to be as a barely 20-year-old in year one, I think he's going to have time to get his legs under him and get this sort of thing figured out with the shooting before the Lakers really have to push him into game action. I kind of look at like what I'm expecting from JHS this season. It's what we saw from Max Christie last season, where, yeah, he appeared in like 42 games, but a lot of it was garbage time. A lot of it was just here's some spot minutes. There were a couple of points in the season where they really needed to put him out there, but that was about it. And now Max is ready to step into a bigger role this coming season. That's what I'm expecting out of JHS. Almost like a red shirt season year one, year two, we're going to see him on the floor quite a bit more. I think if anything, and I'm going to slightly disagree, because I think the year we really see or put actual expectation on Jayla Huchifino's year three. I don't really think you can put too, too much on next year because I think Austin will still be here more than likely. Gay more likely will still be here. If Dila picks up the player option and if they don't trade him, um, that's another guard that's in your way still. And now are the odds that they keep all three? Probably not. But I, I just don't really know if Gay, if you're going to rely a ton on him next year even. And they who knows? They might go get another point guard on the market if, uh, if D'Angelo Russell does walk away or you do trade him so i think you have one for four years i think year three you give him two years left on the deal to kind of prove himself before you pay him i think that's probably where you can put the most expectations on him and next year is kind of what we're expecting for max christie this year if that makes sense yeah he shot 46 percent at the free throw line in summer league that's Sheesh. that's not sustainable. But but look, that's where when you bring up the point that, OK, maybe you don't have to see him until two years from now. That's where people say, well, then why are you drafting him This with the 17th pick? Why would you do that? Because he's 6'6". He is clearly bigger than most of the guards out there. He has a very, very dedicated mindset. You know he's going to continue work. He's not the guy that's going to rest on his laurels, that's going to rely on just his athleticism, just rely on his physical talents. No, the dude is 6'6". He's built. He's really good defensively already. He's got a lot of positives in his game. He has some areas he needs to work on, but you also believe, you buy in to the idea that he is going to work on those areas where he needs refinement. He's going to work on them relentlessly because that is his temperament. That's who he is as a person. And so you're buying into that as well if you're the Lakers. So when you're taking that him with that 17th pick, yeah, there were some red flags with, with Cam Whitmore in terms of the medicals and all that. I know JHS is, you know, for however long however long it takes him to surpass Cam Whitmore in the NBA, maybe it it's never happens. Long. But however long it takes him, Lakers fans are always going to say he could be, he should be this guy or whatever. But yeah. the Lakers believe that JHS is going to put in the work to get the very best out of himself. And that could wind up paying off in, in a big, big way because there is still a lot to like about him. Is it crazy? Like the reaction that will happen if Cam Whitmore is like an all rookie player 
or dare I say, he shocks the world and wins like rookie of the year, which is not going to happen. But oh, my God, the reaction. We got a mini version of it. He was the summer league MVP. MVP. Yeah. And people lost their minds. People lost their minds. That's that's just it. Jalen Hurts could be like they're going to put it on his graphic, right? First time he steps to the free throw line. It's going to say Jalen Hood-Scafino, and then in parentheses, not Cam Whitmore. That's what's going to be up there. Selected it's, over Cam Whitmore. Right? Like, that's that's the way Lakers fans see him right now. So I, I hope I hope that the Lakers draft record really comes into play here, and that, that pattern is sustainable in that they find guys later in the draft and that two, three years from now, we're saying, thank goodness the Lakers took JHS. Thank goodness. Thank goodness yeah. they took that guy. All right. Bottom line, JHS, he's working on the three. He recognizes that's a shortcoming of his game. Something that we'll keep an eye on with him, certainly whenever he's out on the floor. Uh, we should get to see him in preseason action quite a bit. During the regular season, eh, maybe not quite so much, unless hopefully there's a lot of blowouts in the Lakers' favor. Uh, speaking of the Lakers and their success, though, Jared Vanderbilt. The extension, Sean, I know you've talked about it. I've been on vacation. I haven't had a chance to talk about this. I loved this deal. This is a fantastic deal for the Not Lakers. Not an I It drives me crazy. <laughs> so I put this out there on, on X a little bit, and I said, you know, th- this is a great deal for the Lakers. I explained why. I think there, there's two things happening here. There's two things. If you're somebody who says, I don't like this deal, either number one, You're somebody who is looking at the number and you're reacting to the sticker shock and not factoring in the salary cap, not factoring in the CBA and the way it's increased. Because if you're looking at, if you're the kind of person that doesn't necessarily spend a lot of time looking at the numbers and you, you know, you're you're still thinking it's a couple of years ago and you hear the number, you hear 48 million, you go, Oh, wait, that's too much. You can't pay, you can't pay Jared Vanderbilt that much. He's only a defensive guy. Defensive guys can't can't make that kind of money. This is below mid-level exception money. That's that's the way we have to frame this. You got a what would you say? What is what's a conservative estimate? Top 20 defensive player right now in the NBA? Uh conservative. We're counting bigs and wings, like top 30. Top 30? Okay, so a top 30 defensive player defensively, right? That's the, just on that end of the floor. And that's top what you're getting. perimeter player. Okay. So, and you're getting that for less than the mid-level exception, right? There's a lot of upside here. What if he does? He shot like 35% from three when he was with the Jazz. What if he shoots that with the Lakers? What if he's not a guy that you just have to run off the floor in the playoffs? then that changes his value a ton. And that's not unreasonable to think that he could hit 35%. He only shoots corner three. He doesn't shoot above the break threes. He only shoots corner threes. Not unreasonable to think that he could do that or that his finishing at the rim could get a get a bit get a bit better. Hell, if the guy can grow an inch this summer, his three-point shooting could certainly get a little better. I don't know if he actually grew an inch or not. That story was going around for a while. But... I think it's reasonable to assume that he's going to continue to improve at 24 years old. And so I think this deal could be a bargain for the Lakers and people that are looking at the deal, they're getting hit by the sticker shock when they should be. 
The other group, though, that's complaining about this deal or that was complaining about the deal, they would complain about anything the Lakers did. I got a lot of that. A lot of people run around going, what? The Lakers paid $48 million for a guy who can't even be on the floor in the playoffs. That's ridiculous. And they're anything to try to make the Lakers look bad, like they're doing something wrong. Look, the, the, sto- the headline could be, LeBron saves family from burning building, tosses them out the window to Anthony Davis, right? That could be the story. LeBron plays the hero, right? And and the the comments from some people, the Lakers haters out there would be, SMH, how much help does LeBron need? He had to throw people out (laughs) to Anthony Davis, right? Like, let's be real. There's people out there that anything the Lakers do, will be seen as a negative no matter what, right? There's people out there that were saying Austin Reeves doesn't belong on Team USA. Anything Lakers related, they'll be negative about it. I think that was a decent chunk of the anti-Vando deal. I'll also say this, though. This is a great deal with upside for the Lakers. I think Jared Vanderbilt, There's a it's a pretty good gamble that he can exceed the the value of the contract over the next three years. He is a fourth-year player option. But this is also another contract, another arrow in the quiver for Rob Palenka should at some point you need to make some type of big move. Now you've got Rui, you've got D'Lo, you've got Vando, you've got Austin Reeves, you've got Gabe Vincent. Now I know we look at these guys and we say these guys are the the, the core of the the role players, right? The, or maybe Austin has gotten to another level, but this is the backbone of your of your team, right? Essentially, these are your your guys that you're going to rely on that aren't LeBron and AD. And ideally, it all works out great. But these are also all contracts that could potentially be stacked up and put into a bigger deal if at some point it becomes necessary for the Lakers to pivot and go another direction. Again, that is not option A. That's not me saying we should start looking to trade these guys. No, I'm excited about what this team can bring, but I think there's a lot of flexibility with these deals as well on the trade market if need be in the future. So to what Trevor said really, really quickly, Jared Vanderbilt as a Laker last year shot 28.3% on catch-and-shoot looks from three. You increase that number by 7% to 35% on catch and shoot, which Trevor like was not like being hyperbolic by saying he, did he it for doesn't Utah. shoot threes. No, like we, we said he doesn't shoot above the break threes. He literally does not shoot above the break threes. You increase that number to 35%. And uh, I don't know if you, do you mind pulling up uh, Jared Vanderbilt's contract on spot track right quick, Trevor? Sure. Um, this is a, another pound for pound top, one of the better contracts in the NBA. Like Trevor said, the biggest way to phrase this is for for sure for the first three years on the deal, this is a below mid-level exception contract where the entire time we were kind of talking about Vando and the Lakers potentially working on an extension, we were saying, eh, well, if I'm Vando, you know, we're try- I'm going to try to get at least above a uh, mid-level exception. So the, I think the starting point for like you and for some of the other guys on staff was 14 ish million 14 ish million dollars mm-hmm. and i think we all were like okay that's fine but like 
Trevor said, if he gets that 35% mark from three, even if like this is who he is as a defender and he never gets better, this is an amazing contract. Hell, it's an amazing contract right now because there'll be, I mean, like Trevor said, one of the things that the haters would say, well, you know, he's going to get played off the floor. Well, he's too matchup dependent. Well, in those certain matchups against Phoenix, against Dallas, those are the first two teams that pop out of my mind. Jared Vanderbilt's going to play 30 minutes a game, and the reason why he's going to play that many minutes, maybe that's a lot, but you get my point. The reason why he's going to play that many minutes is because he's going to be guarding Luka Doncic. He's going to be guarding Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, because in terms of perimeter isolation defense, he is one of the best in the league, and the Lakers have that guy that they can weaponize defensively. Does he make a ton of sense in every series? No, he doesn't. But at what he can do defensively against some of the league's best ISO scores is extremely valuable. And there's a ton of room to grow on both sides of the ball. So this is a great contract. And I mean, I, I just think the the nonsense that this is an overpay is absolutely insane. And just to to fully flesh out like the the years on this. So he's going to make $4.7 million this season. You're going to have him. And I think this is the way I love the spot track does this. We need to start thinking of these numbers because the sticker shock can really get to us as the cap goes up. We need to think of it in terms of percentage of the cap. He's making 3.5% of the cap this year. That goes up to 7.5%. But again, the cap is expected to continue going up. So these are estimates. But listen to this as the deal goes on. Yes, you hear, oh, by the end of it, he's making $13 million. Yeah, but at the beginning of the extension, he's making 7.5% of the cap. By the end of it, he's making 7% of the cap. Sheesh. So relative to the salary cap, like we look at this and say this is a, an increase in contract. And yes, it is in terms of the amount of money that he's actually getting. But based on the current cap projections, the percentage of the cap that he takes up is actually going to go down. And that's not unique to Jared. I'm not saying the Lakers did something crazy with this contract here, right? That's true of all the contracts that you see signed. Even you look at Anthony Davis, 35% of the cap, then 34.4, then 33, right? Because the cap's expected to keep going up. But nonetheless, Jared Vanderbilt, I think this is a fantastic deal, a young player, and that is really exciting for, for the Lakers. Did you see, Sean, I put out the list of all the Lakers' ages? Yeah, it's... 39, well, it's right here. Yes, 39, 30. And then you just look at the key rotation players. I won't even say some of the other guys. D'Lo, 27. Ruby, 25. Austin, 25. Gabe Vincent, 27. Vando, 24. Torian Prince, 29. Christian Wood, 28. And yeah, like those are the guys that for sure I think are going to play. It's That's just it, right? We look at the Lakers, and you're going to hear people nationally. You're going to hear national reporters who talk about the Lakers as an old team. LeBron is old. Anthony Davis is 30. That's it. Like, Torian Prince is 29. Literally every other Laker is in their early to mid-20s. As a whole, this this is a a pretty young team. Yeah. This is a pretty young team. A young young but experienced team. Like, not Mm -hmm. a young, like, fresh out of college, never had... Uh, ounce of NBA experience. No, like it's young. Austin Reeves was a, a key contributor on a Western Conference Finals team. Rui just came off his second playoff run. D'Lo, regardless of how he's performed, he's been to the playoffs several mm-hmm. times. Torian Prince has been to the playoffs. Christian Wood 
has been in the yeah, he was on that uh, Western Conference Finals Mavs team. Um, he's well, what, he's I don't that know. Team. He he was only with the Mavs this past season. Christian Wood hasn't been to the playoffs yet. You sure? Are you sure? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Was he a free agent? Yeah, he came to them this past summer uh, via trade. I actually thought, I'm trying to remember the trade. He was with Houston prior to that. And, And so they they were able to sign him and uh, the Mavs got him on on his uh, yeah on this deal. I'm trying to remember yep, what they right. traded for him. I remember when they, when the trade went down, thinking that wasn't enough for Christian Wood. It was like Boban and Trey Burke. I think I remember that now. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. Anyway, yeah, it was um, bad. Yeah, but he has not been to the playoffs yet, so not a yeah. proven postseason performer. Okay, so you can ignore the last 30 seconds of me talking. But point being, this team is young, but they have. I mean, Jared Vanderbilt is just a key contributor of a Western Conference Finals team, and they they have some experience, and you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, who are still two top ten players on the planet. Which, by the way, there's like a Bleach Report list that had them both like 15 and 16 or something stupid like that. <laughs> what the hell? It was like 12 or 13, I thought. But anyway, it was, I thought, Too to low. me, to me, and look, it could be that just honestly, this is how that list broke down. That's possible. But to me, just putting LeBron and AD right next to each other and where they did, it just came across as, well, I don't really know where to put these guys, so I'm just going to put them right next to each other side and just throw them here. 
right? Like it, it almost seemed like what they, they were so unsure about where to slot them that they couldn't even split them apart. Just said, well, they're about the same. Let's just put them in, in here together. Yeah. It was interesting. But anyway, um, we do have some uh, some sad news to get into here. Winning time. Uh, unfortunately, has not been picked up for a third season on uh, on yeah. HBO. Um, it's a series I've been watching. I have not, as of this recording, I have not watched the finale yet uh, of season two. I've watched every other episode, but I uh, have not watched the finale yet, but I am planning on watching that soon. But um, yeah, unfortunately, it's not going to get picked up for a third season, and that's that's terrible. You know, I've had the guys, I've had Jeff Perlman who wrote the book that it was based on, uh, on the, here on the podcast. Um, Jim Hecht was on the show as well. He was one of the writers and was essentially the guy who created the show. Um, they're fantastic people. And I thought they did a great job telling the Lakers story. I thought it was a really interesting show beyond just the basketball. I was sitting there hoping for more, for more basketball on the screen, but I know for most viewers, it was the drama. It was all the other stuff. And they did a great job showing all of that. Um, I thought the actors did did a tremendous job as well. And uh, it's unfortunate that that wasn't picked up. So sad times because that that show was really, really enjoyable. They put a ton of work into it. And um, yeah, it's truly unfortunate that winning time was not picked up. And I'm disappointed because I really wanted to see the rest of the showtime era play out throughout the 80s. And I'm hoping that at some point, We'll get to see the Shaq and Kobe era as well because Jeff Perlman also wrote that book, Three Ring Circus, on the Shaq and Kobe era Lakers. So I was hoping we could see that too, but the uh, winning time, unfortunately, canceled. Yeah. That's not that, good. that Shaq and Kobe would have been really, really fun to see. Yeah. Hopefully we still get to see that at some point, but man, that would be tough. Like, can you imagine how difficult it was to find actors to play Kareem, to play Magic, to, you know, yeah. all those. Imagine trying to find people, to find somebody to play Shaq. Yeah. That's that's going to, that would be all but impossible. Somebody to find, play Kobe, to play, play Phil Jackson, but, you know, that wouldn't be easy. I want to see that now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just to see but, they would cast. I want to see that now. We'll, we'll have to think about that. We'll have to think about who could be cast for that. Um, okay. Sean, before we did our show, you did throw out there on social media, um, threw out there on X that uh, we were going to take a few fan questions. And so let's finish off the show with a couple of those. One of them that came in said, and this was coming from Jay Kirk, said, I have Kendrick Nunn fear with Gabe Vincent. Nunn got out of the Miami system and has not looked like the player he was in Miami. Can you convince me that Vincent will be different? Sean, to me, it makes sense that Lakers fans would have a little PTSD because it's not even just a Kendrick Nunn thing. It's a Luol Dang thing. If we go back far enough, Luol Dang was coming from the Miami Heat, different stage of their career, whereas Kendrick Nunn, uh, a smaller guard, Gabe Vincent, smaller-ish guard coming over, right? There's some more direct parallels. But nonetheless, this is another Miami Heat player that the Lakers have signed and the first two that had come to mind, things didn't work out so well. So, Gabe Vincent, is he the next Kendrick Nunn, or why is he not? Why should we not have that fear? I'm not as worried about Gabe Vincent becoming the next Kendrick Nunn. One, because I think Kendrick Nunn 
I, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but I really do think the injury really set him back a lot. And who knows what we would have gotten if Kendrick Nunn never gets hurt in the preseason before the 2021 season, uh, no, 21-22 season. Um, but I think Gabe Vincent's floor as a player is a lot higher than Kendrick Nunn's floor as a player, mm-hmm. simply because I think Gabe Vincent is a way better defender than Kendrick Nunn is. Um, how he competes, how smart he is. Um, and I think that's another thing I, I will say. And I forget who I was talking to somebody about this, and they asked me to describe Gabe Vincent in like a sentence. And I said, he's just a winner. And mm-hmm. uh, what, what I mean by that is there's just a certain way that he plays that you can't really like describe it um, without like any film or whatever, right? But he just makes all the winning plays that won't show up in the box score, whether it's diving on the floor for a loose ball, whether it's a proper tag on a, on a roll that prevents a lot pass uh, a stretch in the corner to picking which shooter to kind of leave open things like that. And then he makes a ton of right plays offensively. Um, And Kendrick Nunn, a lot of his value was tied into his shooting. Gabe Vincent, the biggest knock on Gabe Vincent right now is we don't know if he's a 33% shooter or if he's what the, uh, the 38% shooter he was in the playoffs, that's mm-hmm. the knock on him. There's value of Gabe Vincent, not so necessarily attached to his shooting where you look at Kendrick Nunn the year before he got to LA, he shot 37% from three, uh, his final year, in Miami and on catch and shoot looks, he shot 40.1% from three. And then you go to the you know, Lakers won the title. He actually shot worse. He shot 35% from both catch and shoot and from the floor in general. So a lot of his value was attached to his shooting. And it makes sense why when he didn't shoot the ball well, his floor was pretty bad. And that's uh, ultimately what we saw for the Lakers. So that's my best try at convincing you that Gabe Vincent isn't going to be what Kendrick Nunn was. You know, I, I, I do see the reason for, for concern. Um, and I see it when, when I look at film of, of Gabe Vincent's offensive game, I see a player that is very reliant, reliant on his ability to hit a jump shot, whether it's a mid-range shot or it's a three. Um, he's not great. He's not, you know, we're, we're going to compare him to Dennis Schroeder a lot because that's the role that he's most likely replacing. He's not the guy that's going to get to the free throw line a bunch. He's not the yeah. super quick speedster. He's very reliant on being able to hit that pull-up three. And you look at the postseason, you see he shot 37% from deep. Like you said, 33% from deep in the regular season. You think, oh, man, are the Lakers just paying him off of an outlier three-point shooting performance, right? I mean, he took 353s in the regular season, right? In the playoffs, he took 143. You've got a much larger sample size in the regular season, but... That's the downside, right? That's that's my biggest fear with him is that you've got a player who's very reliant on the jumpers and we know that the efficiency there, it's not always a sticky stat. We know better, better than most. How many guys have we seen come to the Lakers and suddenly see their percentages, whether it was from uh, on a 20-foot jumper, whether it was on a three, go down significantly? We've seen it. This can swing quite a bit in terms of your shooting percentage season to season. That's my worry with him is that the reliance on the jumper, if he winds up 
in a downward trend on the season, if he happens to have an off season or, or get off to a, a, a bumpy start, then that's going to create a lot of trepidation among Lakers fans. He's not like he's going to dig in defensively and, and lock down. He's not, he's not prime Gary Payton where he's going to lock down somebody on the perimeter where if he shoots two for seven from deep most nights, you're not going to care about that. No, he gets a decent amount of value from his ability to shoot the jumper. But that's the, that's the pessimistic side. The upside, Sean, I think what you said, he's just a winning player. I look at the things that he does, and if the jumper is reasonable, I think you're right in terms of him doing all the little things and him making the plays and him being the kind of guy that LeBron tends to thrive with. Right? Like that's what I, the other big takeaway I have just from, and I've been watching a lot of Gabe Vincent film lately, just from watching Gabe Vincent film. Number one, I go, I'm a little worried at how reliant he is on his jump shot. But number two, I look at all the plays that he's making and I just think, God, he's going to love playing with LeBron. Like, he's just, he's just a LeBron-style point guard. Like, he's the type of guy that historically has thrived playing next to LeBron James. And so I'm still pretty optimistic. And I also like that he's still 27 years old, right? This isn't a this is a guy who is physically in his prime. Um, yeah, I'm still optimistic with him. I, I get why fans would look at and feel that little bit of concern considering what happened with Kendrick Nunn. I think Gabe Vincent is flat out. He's just a better player than Kendrick Nunn. But I also think that he does enough other stuff. Still a little bit more reliant on the jumper than I would like, but he does enough other stuff to where I think he's going to fit in okay. He'll be just, I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, that's kind of the I, point I was trying to get at. Yeah. I think out of all the new Lakers, though, He's the one I worry about the most. Uh, is that because of the role that he's expected to have? That's it, a, a big put, chunk of that is the contract, right? Because look at the other new guys. Torian Prince at $4.5 million. I'm not worried about a, that value with the wing. You look at, okay, Cam Reddish is a minimum, so whatever. Jackson Hayes is a minimum, so whatever. Christian Wood is a bit minimum, so whatever. You've got three years and 33 million on Gabe Vincent, which if he plays like he did with Miami, that's no problem, right? That, that's a that's a value. If he does miss, it's a bigger deal than if the other guys miss. Sure. Um, I just view it as if he misses, it's just another like stackable filler contract sure. on a deal in a potential trade deal. Um Gosh, I feel the more I talk about him, the more I feel like I'm coming across as pessimistic on him. Hater. And I'm not, but I see where why people would have some some concern. I can understand where you can draw those parallels. And he yeah. is one that I'm going to be watching a lot just to keep an eye on the shooting percent. Because a lot of his value does come from that being able to hit that jumper with consistency. So we're going to be watching. I have a feeling we're going to be riding the roller coaster a bit, Sean, with with Gabe Benson. Uh... Like if he has an off shooting, if he has a couple off shooting nights in a row, oh boy, Lakers fans are gonna be gonna be upset. Um, but I think we're gonna see the ebbs and flows of the course of the season, which naturally happens with jump shooters. But I think we're gonna have a lot of Gabe Vincent is awesome, he is great, 
And then the next night, oh, Gabe Vincent is terrible. What did the Lakers do? What a mistake, right? I think that's going to be not our reaction, but that's going to be the fan reaction night in, night out over the course of the season. Well, lucky for me, I don't like roller coasters. So I'll just be relaxed and just not caring the whole time. <laughs> is that... Is that real or was that just for the just for the bit there? Do you really not like roller coasters? I, I'm dead serious. I don't like roller coasters. Really? Wow. I, I actually like genuine generally don't like heights, but I love airplanes. So I don't know, that's kind of weird. Okay, so it's a height thing? Yeah. So if it was a roller coaster, like if you're if you're doing like like the Star Wars ride at Disney World or something like that, right? Where you're not going up high, you're just like in a car that stays on the ground, then you're okay? I guess I, okay. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Okay, just curious, just curious. All right, Sean doesn't like roller coasters. Okay, no, I do not. all right, good to know. Good to know. Sean doesn't like roller coasters and uh, and likes sleep. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning new things. The one here. thing I didn't get while you were gone, except like <laughs> that's, yesterday. Uh, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, all right. Last question we were going to get to on this show. Uh, Matthew Baker said, who is the most primed for a breakout season? Not Austin Reeves. Said Austin Reeves doesn't count because he's been breaking out since the second half of last year. He threw out some names. Said Max, Bando, Rui, Prince, etc. So a non-Austin Reeves breakout player. A non-Austin Reeves breakout player. Do you want the easy answer or do you want me to get creative? Give me whatever your answer is and then I'll pick someone different. Whatever okay. you whatever you want to go with. Who do you want to talk about? Chaga, 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 all aboard the Max Christie train. All right. I am your conductor. Uh, if you don't believe me, go back to our draft tape from last year. Max Christie, I think... I think we're going to touch on this. I guess we just didn't get to it. But I think when you go into training camp this year, my mindset is this is Max Christie's kind of job to lose in terms of the backup two guard minutes. And the reason why is because, one, they talked really, really highly of him uh, in terms of how they viewed him. If he had came out this year, how they talked about him last year, I thought, although very limited sample size, I thought his film was really, really encouraging last year. I thought his film this summer was really, really encouraging. And I think based on the roster in terms of true two guards are like two slash threes with the two coming first. He's the only guy that's slot in that backup role. I know a lot of people would say Cam Reddish, but Cam Reddish is Trevor. I think said on a previous pod, he's a three slash two where if he has to play the two sure, but he's really mm -hmm. a three. And I think Max Christie, you want to talk about another just player that fits perfectly next to LeBron James. He's a guy that can shoot the three at a pretty high level. And he's a guy that is just going to defend his butt off. Who can defend at the point of attack. Really freaking good chaser on or off the ball, which is going to have him be a great scheme fit uh, to, for, for Darvin Hammond, who I think is going to, you know, want to have as much versatility as possible on the floor defensively, because I think that was the whole mantra of this Lakers offseason, we're gonna be completely honest. The whole like identity for this Lakers offseason was versatility. We got we mm -hmm. obviously you have Braun, AD, Max Christie already on the roster. You bring back Vando or you extend Vando. You keep Ruby around. Keep D'Lo around. You sign all 
uh, re-sign Austin Reeves on one of the best contracts in the planet right now. Christian Wood, Sean, he does have off, he does have versatility. He provides offensive versatility. As I'll talk about in the future, he would provide some defensive versatility. Jackson Hayes, Torian Pritz, how Cam Reddish, who's apparently the guy competing with Max Christie. I think he's the guy primed for it because he just makes the most sense for what this roster needs and what LeBron likes to play with. That is a great pick. Um, yeah, we initially had talked Choo-choo. about doing a, <laughs> Get on board the train. We had initially talked about doing a segment breaking down uh, camp battles and Cam Reddish against Max Christie was going to be the one we would discuss on this show, but we'll save that for another show. We'll go in depth into that battle. Um, I I like the Max Christie pick a lot. In fact, if if I if you hadn't picked him, I would have would have picked him. I think that he is a great fit because he's an easy fit in that there's no question what his role is. You don't have to you don't have to worry about that, right? Remember for years we talked about Kyle Kuzma. What is his best role? Should he be a starter? Should he be a sixth man? Does he need to be more scoring focused? Should he be more focused? Should he focus on playmaking? Remember the Lakers try to use him as a ball handler and pick and roll for a little bit? Should he be doing that? Is he better off focusing on his defense and just helping out on the boards and don't worry about the offense? The Lakers coaching staff could never figure out how exactly to use him. Max Christie is more along the lines of a Contavious Caldwell-Pope, yep. a Danny Green, an Avery Bradley, where... What's your job? It's to make threes and play great defense. If you can do a little bit else, if you can attack off the bounce, you can attack a closeout, that's icing on the cake, right? Your role, your job, it's to defend like crazy and knock in those open threes when they're there. And I think that Max Christie, he came in with that skill set. It was very clear from day one what the Lakers were going to ask him to do. So I'm very high on him for this season. But again, you already did a great job talking about Max Christie. So I'm not going to talk about him much more here. I am, Sean, I I need to admit something here. I'm nervous. I'm Uh, nervous about this. I see every year, every year, there is a player that I get irrationally excited about. Oh boy. And I was, I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this, right? So while we're on our cruise, we're on our vacation. I was thinking about different segments I'm going to do on the show. Cause of course I couldn't, you know, completely leave all this behind. But I'm planning it out, and I'm thinking, I, what, I need to make a Trevor's Irrationally Excited drop, right? And every year, like an official like stamp of approval, like Oprah's book club, but for basketball, <laughs> right? And then I got back to thinking, and I went, oh, my God. I think that I think it might be a bad thing. I think it might be a curse. Here's my guys over the years. Damian Jones. Okay. Wes who Matthews. Year? Who was it the Russ year? It was who Quinn was Cook. It? it was Quinn Cook one year. The Russell Wait. Westbrook year. Uh, I'm me, I'd have to go back and look at that. I think that roster was such a mess that I wasn't even excited about anybody. <laughs> Maybe there was, was something. Say, I was going to say Trevor was uh... – Trevor got irrationally excited somehow about Kent Bazemore or somebody from that, that team. Oh, you may be right. Maybe it was and Bazemore. I, was it really Bazemore? <laughs> Come on, Trevor. No, I'm going back. I'm looking at that roster right now. Oh, no, ben no. Okay, Macklemore. that one wasn't so bad. That one wasn't so bad. It was Carmelo Anthony. 
it was oh, Carmelo okay. Anthony because I felt like, okay, he's finally a Laker. We finally get to see him in purple and gold. He'll have a defined role, all that sort of stuff. Okay. So at least there's, okay. there's one. Ooh. Curse was broken there. But really, yeah, I yeah. started going back and thinking about it. I'm like, man, I, I, I've had some, some rough ones here. And yeah. so all of that being said, I'm scared that I'm going to put some some bad mojo on on a player here. Wait, before you say, do I like? Am I like a fan of this player based off our conversations? Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family friendly show, Sean. Lincoln, no, Lincoln can blurt that out. All right. Um, it's Christian Wood. It's Christian Wood is the guy that I am excited about this year. Why? Because if you go back into the Lakers Nation archives, you go back years, I've been talking about how the Lakers should go after Christian Wood because I've been so intrigued by the idea of the endless arms that you can have on the floor when you play him next to Anthony Davis. You go back far enough at one point when the Detroit Pistons were trading away Christian Wood I talked about the idea of would you move Kyle Kuzma in order to get Christian Wood. Now, obviously, that looks silly today based on where they currently are and the fact that Kyle Kuzma is making over $100 million and Christian Wood is now on a veteran minimum. But at the time, both were young, intriguing players. Christian Wood had the upside in terms of the wingspan, the shot-blocking potential, all of that, as well as the three-point stroke. But nonetheless, Christian Wood has literally been every year for however X number of years now, he's been the guy that I've been looking at thinking, man, what would he look like next to AD? What would he look like with a player with the defensive capabilities of Anthony Davis on the floor and Christian Wood's offensive firepower, his ability to shoot the three? Could this duo really work? Could What about Christian Wood's foot speed on the perimeter? There are bit, I'm not saying this is a, a home run. There's questions here, but I've been really excited for years about potentially trying this out, about seeing what this looks like and thinking about what the Lakers could do to close off passing lanes, what this could mean on the boards, what this could mean on both ends of the floor and how this could work. That's my guy. That's my guy. And you know what? He needs it. He needs the breakout this year. I've been saying for a while now that Christian Wood needs the Lakers. This is his opportunity. This is his opportunity to show everybody that he can do all the stuff that people have complained about him not doing. And I know, I know it's the arrested development meme, right? It's the, you know, they delude themselves into thinking it's going to work for them and it never does, but yeah. maybe it could just work for us, right? It's that whole situation. It hasn't worked a number of places. There's a reason why he's bounced around the league. But the skill set, I've been intrigued by it for years. And so he is my irrationally excited player this year. It's Christian Wood. Well, to kind of feed into that, because I am also very, very excited about that. And I'm also equally, equally as excited and cautiously optimistic about the defensive pairing next to Anthony Davis. Um, he shot, I'm sorry, excuse me opponents shot seven percent worse at the rim when he was the rim protector he was the guy defending the rim mm -hmm. and he's a 
big part of why I'm really excited about the Lakers defense. Ironically, and I'll talk about this in a separate video, but like I said earlier, the kind of, I think the emphasis on this summer was versatility. And while the Lakers were in elite defense, especially post trade line, right? With Anthony Davis anchoring what was a top three group um, and re really an elite group whenever he was out there on the floor all year, they really could only do one thing. And it was drop and occasionally we'll switch. Now, mm -hmm. I think they'll switch a lot more this year. They'll still go drop because why wouldn't you? You have the best rim protector on the planet in Anthony Davis. Um, but I think we'll see a lot more hedging this year. Now, God forbid, do not hedge against the Golden State Warriors. Do not do <laughs> what you did to get in game two of that series. But by pairing Christian Wynn and Anthony Davis together, one of the biggest weaknesses of hedging, in which, again, why it was so stupid to hedge against the Warriors is you're pulling your big essentially away from the play. You're taking him away from protecting the rim. You're relying on weak side rotations and things of that nature. Let's say Anthony Davis and Christian Wood are on the floor together at the same time. And it's Christian Wood who, in the past, has graded out better as a screener mobile defender than less like hedging, switching, etc., as opposed to a screener rim defender, drop, etc. And it's Christian Wood in the ball screen, and you hedge. But it's – so, okay, paint a better picture. You're facing the Memphis Grizzlies, right? I don't know. This first thing that popped in my head. Oh, let's go to the Kings. Sacramento Kings. De'Aaron Fox. DeMontis Modus ball screen in the middle of the floor, okay? And Jared Vanderbilt is guarding De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron, uh, Jared Vanderbilt's biggest criticism of his defensive, you know, prowess, if you will, is the screen navigation. Well, you pair him next to Christian Wood, you hedge the ball screen. Now, the ball screen navigation doesn't really matter as much. And Christian Wood's at the level. Now, Anthony Davis is weak side. So when the ball gets delivered, it's Anthony Davis at the rim where he's at his best. He gets to chillax for 10 seconds and then just go get a block or go to turn the shot at the rim. And vice versa, because like I said, Christian Wood was a good dude at being weak side rim protection last season. So I don't know, man. I'm kind of optimistic. So, yeah, I'm, I'll uh, I'll hop on the uh, Christian Wood bandwagon and we'll I'll talk about that more in an extensive video. I I'll say this. A Christian Wood breakout does not mean – on the box score. Yeah, no. I think does it doesn't doesn't mean 25 and 10 is what I'm expecting in terms of a breakout. Now, a breakout for him is fitting into the team structure and producing winning basketball because that's the question mark still with him. We know he can put up 17 and 80, put up what 20 and 10 a, a couple of seasons ago with Houston. We know he can do that. It's that he can do all the other stuff and, and help a team win. Now, that's what I'm expecting to see him do with the Lakers this season. Yeah. All right, there we go. We've got a couple of breakout picks. We got some news that we got into. Nice, nice welcome back show here. But we will be live uh, Monday night. And it'll be tonight for most of you watching this, listening to this. Uh, we'll be live over on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. That'll come on 8 o'clock Pacific time. We'll take your questions and comments about the upcoming season. So come join us for that. And until next time, everybody. See ya. And stay safe.